This book of Acts is amazing. And we've been following Paul as he follows God's will in establishing the church. He traveled all over acting out this message of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. Scholars estimate that Paul traveled 10,000 miles as he started these 14 churches with these missionary journeys. The other apostles were also traveling around and spreading the gospel during this time as well. In the Roman Empire, these cities that Paul was going to were packed with people from all over the world. And because of this, there were temples to all sorts of gods. And people got to kind of pick and choose what gods they wanted to give their allegiance to. But the Jewish people in these cities worshipped God alone. And these cities were connected by Roman roads. And they, uh, because of Alexander the Great uh, conquering the known world at that time, most of these people spoke Greek. And so they could communicate with each other. And because of the influence of the philosophers, people had begun to ask lots of questions. And because of the Roman Empire, there was an unprecedented peace throughout that area known as the Pax Romana. God had created just the right time for the message of the gospel to spread quickly throughout the world. They had roads that they could travel on. They all spoke the same language. People were ready to ask questions. And then there was peace in the land. So Paul is going around making tents and preaching the gospel as he went. We left Paul and Silas as they returned from their second missionary journey to their home church in Antioch. The religious Jews had tried to stop them and the governments in the cities tried to paint them in a political box as treasonous against Caesar. But they didn't fit into that box. And next we're going to see in this chapter that even pagan Idol makers tried to stop the gospel, but they couldn't. They were mad at Paul because uh, the people had stopped buying idols and they knew that it was going to hurt them. But being a Christian has never been about being, uh, you know, living a comfortable, normal life while building wealth towards retirement. It's always been a revolution of love and mercy and grace that upsets norms and makes a difference. Even though it was dangerous to do so, people joined into this movement that was captivated by the story of the risen Christ and intrigued by the community of people that treated all people equally, regardless of ethnicity and gender or economics. These communities of people would eat together and they lived sacrificially and they cared about each other and they cared about widows and the poor and the orphan. And they made time to serve each other. They weren't just out for themselves and that was so different. This new thing called the church was taking the message of Jesus and acting it out. I want to remind you once again to read through this book of Acts on your own. There's so much that we don't have time to zoom in on. Today we're going to look at the third missionary journey that Paul embarked on. He most likely was joined with uh, Silas and Luke and Timothy. And these men go back to the churches that they had started to minister to them, even though they'd been run out of town and opposed by those that rejected Jesus. And chapters 18, 19, and 20 talk about four different people 
that each reacted differently to the message of the gospel. You've got Apollos, the seven sons of Sceva, Demetrius, and Eutychus. We're going to tackle all these today. First, shoot over to Apollos, who was a Jewish man that was born in Alexandria, Egypt. He had been a follower of John the Baptist before John was killed. And Paul had left this husband and wife missionary couple of Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus to encourage the church there. And this man named Apollos comes into this town and he begins to preach in that area. When I think of Apollos, I always think of Apollo Creed from the, the Rocky movies. Uh, not the same guy, though. I get confused with that. But uh, verse 24, chapter 18. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Egypt. And it says he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He'd been instructed of the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogues. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. See, Apollos was a good speaker and he knew the Old Testament scriptures and he had believed on Jesus. He had followed John the Baptist. But he didn't have the rest of the story about the coming of the Holy Spirit and the practice of being baptized in the name of Jesus as a symbol of the change on the inside. And as you might imagine, there's probably a little bit of an opportunity to have some friction here, right? As Aquila and Priscilla come and tell Apollos, hey, you're missing some things. But Apollos was happy to hear this. And Apollos added to his faith and he humbly learns from the teaching of Aquila and Priscilla. And he, he learns where he was wrong as he was preaching and what, what he needed to add to his message. So Aquila and Priscilla, they disciple him a little bit and then they sent him on to Achaia to strengthen the church there. We looked uh, not too long ago at the book of 1 Corinthians and we saw how from this point on, Apollos was a very effective speaker and a leader in the church. But some people started to identify themselves as followers of Apollos or Paul rather than firstly a follower of Jesus. And the spirit of competition had creeped into the church in Corinth and Paul corrected it. In chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, Paul told them not to be divided into group, uh, groups identified by your leaders but in unity follow Christ alone. Now Apollos and Paul weren't to blame for this situation. Obviously, people have begun to put men over Jesus, but Paul corrected that. But, but Apollos had went out and he pro, uh, preached the gospel and people were finding Jesus because of him. And this is a, a situation with Apollos shows us a little bit bigger picture of some people that were kind of in the middle of the ground where they had come to know about Jesus, but not yet about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And Paul comes in contact with more of these people like that in the beginning of chapter 19 as he preaches for two years in Ephesus. And he gets to tell them the whole picture just like Aquila and Priscilla got to tell Apollos. So that's the first person we see. We see Apollos. He wanted to follow Christ, but he was missing some things. There's some things that he needed to add to his faith. There was more to the story. But instead of getting offended, he humbly added to his faith 
and he was corrected and he was teachable and he made a difference. In verse 11 of chapter 19, we see the second group of people, the seven sons of a man named Sceva. Now, I had three other brothers growing up, and that was enough. I can't imagine seven sons of this one man. But Paul had been doing miracles, and he had been healing people and casting out demons and preaching in public. And these seven sons of Sceva were Jewish exorcists that tried to cast out demons. They weren't followers of Jesus, but they tried to use the name of Jesus as a magic spell or a superstitious charm. And it didn't work. Let's check it out in chapter 19, verse 13 of Acts. It says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. And the seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know. And Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit uh, was leapt on them. He mastered all seven of them. He overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I've gotten in a few fights in my days back when I was younger, last week. But I've ne that's like the ultimate, like you lost. If you run away naked, you, there is no, uh, you know, no questioning who lost that fight. But these men had tried to use the name of Christ for clout, right? They wanted to gain power and financial gain, and they wanted to influence people by being perceived to be spiritual leaders when in fact they have their own self-interest in mind. You find people like this today, whether it's the TV evangelist that tells you to, uh, you know, plant a seed of blessing in his ministry. But really what he wants to do is to fill up his private jet with gas or whether it's a person that's uh, been gossiping about you. And then they come and tell me, hey, God told me that you needed prayer. But really, it was Sister Sally that told them because they've been talking about you behind their back. Right. We need to be careful when we put on this air of super spirituality to impress people and to put on this, you know, attitude that we are, you know, something above everybody else. These seven sons of Sceva weren't even followers of Christ, but they tried to throw Jesus's name around and use all this spiritual jargon in order to look important. And they ended up beaten up naked and running away. We need to be careful not to put on mystical airs like we're some sort of hyper-Christian in order to gain people's respect. Being authentic goes much farther. Apollos didn't have everything right, but he listened. Apollos learned that he was wrong and he became stronger for it and God used him. But these seven sons of Sceva were frauds and they were literally exposed. Right? If you know what I mean? Uh, and the evil spirits answered them and said this. Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? If you've made a habit of trying to convince everyone that you have this like special line to God that they don't, in order to gain power or influence over people, you need to be careful. God doesn't look kindly on people that throw his name around in order 
to have their own advancement. And again, we're reminded, uh, like we've seen before, as we read throughout God's word, that you can't just trust everyone who talks about Jesus. But after these men ran away naked, the town noticed. And many people believed on Christ and put their pursuit of magic and idol worship away. And they burned their books of magical arts at great financial loss to themselves. And they followed Jesus. And this should go without saying in a Christian church, but pursuits of horoscopes and astrology and tarot cards and superstitions ought to be put away. You don't need those things. They are nothing but dangerous distractions from the power of an almighty God. So next, Paul sets his sight to preach, on the, uh, to preach the gospel in Rome. But first, he wanted to encourage the saints in Macedonia, Achaia, and Jerusalem. Tony Evans says wherever Paul preached, two things happened. People got saved and people got mad. And that pattern was about to happen again in Acts chapter 19, verse 23. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Now, the way is what this movement of Jesus followers called themselves. They were called Christians first in Antioch, but that was the people around them that called them Christians. They called themselves the way. Jesus is the way. And they followed Jesus. So there was no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. And these he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear, not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that God made with humans' hands are not God's. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence. <clears throat> She also whom all Asia and the world worship. So more opposition is coming against the church and the gospel. And the way is making waves and people's lives are being changed. And people have begun throwing their idols away and destroying them and not buying more. See, real genuine movements of God bring repentance. And people change when they're encountered with the gospel. Back in 1904, during the Welsh Revival, they actually had to retrain all the mules that were used by miners because the miners stopped cussing and the mules didn't know their directions anymore. <laughs> right? And when God comes into our lives and Jesus makes a difference in our lives and we fully surrender to him, things are going to change. And that's what's happening here in Ephesus. It was hurting the wallets of the idol makers. There was this large temple to this female god uh, known of, uh, as Artemis, the Greek god of the hunt. And they were very proud of this temple, and it brought them lots of money. And it's one of the, known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Actually, inside of it had a meteor that they believed fell from the gods. And there was a thriving community and a thriving economy in Ephesus based on idolatry. 
People from all over Asia came to Ephesus for this reason. And Demetrius is this silversmith. And he rallied all these idol makers together. And he was warning them. What if so many people follow the way that they stop buying idols and stop coming to Ephesus to worship at our temple? People listen to him. And they felt that, right? My money's going to get hurt. I'm, uh, yeah, I got to do something about this. And they were furious. Demetrius had incited a riot. And they drug some of Paul's friends, Gaius and Aristarchus, into this large theater, probably in order to lure Paul in. And Paul wanted to go in, but the disciples stopped him. And even the leaders of the town told Paul, don't go in there. The riot that Demetrius the silversmith had brought to a frenzy wouldn't calm down. And people were angry and they were shouting. And the Bible says for two hours, this amphitheater could have hold, uh, held up to 24,000 people. And the town clerk went in to try and speak some sense into them. He got up and made it clear that the Romans were going to think this was some sort of revolution if they don't quit rioting. And the Romans were going to crash this party and put an end to this whole thing violently if they didn't stop. So the, the crowd calmed down. And they dispersed, and Paul went ahead and moved on to Troas. Verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, uh, in chapter 20, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. Y'all think I preach long, right? I don't know when he started, but I know when he ended, midnight. Paul only, how many of y'all want me to go? Keep going, right? Yeah, come on, Pastor Phil. Paul only had a little time to instruct these new churches and give them everything that they needed to know in order to thrive and grow. And he loved them. He wanted them to be prepared. So he gave himself and he, he spoke to them and tried to tell them everything they needed to know. Chapter 20, verse 8 says, There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So there was this young man named Eutychus who was sitting in the third story window. The place must have been packed, right? I'm sure Eutychus wanted a good seat. He showed up because he cared. And he climbed all the way up in this window because he wanted to know more about Jesus, and he was there for a long time, listening. But it was a smoky room. There's probably not much oxygen up there at the top near the ceiling. And I'm sure Paul's voice started to get drowned out. And Eutychus' eyes go out of focus. And then he's asleep. And he falls 30 feet down to the ground. And Eutychus woke up dead. What a way to end a church service, right? Y'all be careful up there. Devin, you be careful up there in the balcony. We don't want anybody falling. But Paul rushes to his side. And he says, this boy's life isn't over yet. And he takes him in his arms. And Eutychus is raised back to life again. I love this next part. Then they went and ate. And then Paul went back to preaching all night long until daybreak. This was a miraculous night. Paul next sets his face towards Jerusalem. He knows that opposition and persecution is waiting for him there. And he tells his friends, 
He's not sure what's going to happen next or if he will ever see them again in verse 24 of chapter 20. But he says, I do not count my life of any value nor precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know none of you among you whom I have gone out about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Paul and his companions had done their best to start these churches and give them what they needed to succeed. And they faced danger in order to do that. They'd been beaten and they'd been run out of town and they did their best to disciple these people and they taught them and they cried with them. And before he leaves, he gives them this one last warning that they needed to pay attention and to be careful because false teachers will come in like wolves to try and lead people away into sin and heresy and to distract them from the priorities that they should have. And they'll twist things to trick the sheep into following them. And it reminds us again that everyone that's in church is in the church for the right reason. And they needed to take what they learned and use it and scour the scripture and stay close to Christ. And sometimes you need to, in order to protect the flock, you have to confront the wolves. So here's Paul's third missionary journey comes to an end. He gathers these people together and they pray and they cry and they hug and they say goodbye. This early church is characterized by love. So here's these four groups of people that we see in these chapters in the book of Acts. You've got Apollos, this man that had only part of the picture. You've got the seven sons of Sceva who tried to use the message of Christ in order to gain power and influence. You've got Demetrius and the idol makers who were rabidly concerned with their wealth. They opposed the gospel to protect their comfort. And lastly, you have Eutychus, who was in the right place, with the right motives, but he fell asleep. Are any of these you today? Are any of these cautionary tales for you? Maybe you need to admit, like Apollos, that maybe your faith is missing something. You have some things right, but you need to recommit to studying the Word of God and being discipled. So that God can use you today. This last week I read a study that talked about the difference that spending time in God's word can make in your life. And it said that, and this includes, you know, like service time, but also reading your Bible and doing devotions and Bible study and stuff like that. But it said that when you do it one time a week, that makes a difference. And two makes a little bit of a difference more. And then three makes a little bit of a difference too. But there's something crazy when someone spends time in God's word four times a week that they're 30% less likely to struggle with the depression. They're 60% less likely to struggle with pornography. There, all these things happen when we spend time in God's word enough. Not just when we think about it or not just when we, uh, you know, like... Uh, you know, have something hard go on in our lives. But when we're habitual and daily hiding God's word in our heart. And maybe you're like Apollos where you've got some things missing and you kind of didn't realize it. But you need to add to your faith. 
Or maybe you need to repent of using the church or God's word or your spirituality as a means to gain influence and power and to build your ego and to be somebody and to get a title. These seven sons of Sceva were exposed. And it's better to repent now than to wait on the consequences of your sin. Or maybe you're like Demetrius. You're way too concerned with your wealth. And you're missing out on what God wants you to do because you're scared of losing your security or your retirement or your salary or your job advancement. We don't know much about this story and, and who Demetrius was, but we do know that he opposed the gospel. Or maybe you're like Eutychus. You've been in the house of God for a long time. And you're here because you cared. And you wanted to be in a place to learn about Jesus, but you fell asleep. But God has a bigger purpose for your life, and he wants to breathe new life into your lungs and raise you up to follow him. Your life's not over yet. You're meant to have a thriving life of faith. Wake up. I don't know where you're at today. And I don't know what God's speaking to your heart about, what needs to change. But don't ignore it. This world is dark out there and it needs lights like you to shine bright. You can't just coast through your life and expect to have a vibrant walk with God. You must be intentional, not out of duty, but because God loves you so much and he has something big for you. This community needs us. There's people in your neighborhood that need you. There are people at your work that need you to be led by the Holy Spirit, to speak the words of encouragement and hope into their lives. This community needs each one of us to take this message of the gospel, to act it out. Every head bowed and eyes closed. Once again, as we head into this time of meditation and prayer, this isn't just like a time to like, oh, cool, I get to rest my eyes for a second. But this is an opportunity for you to speak directly to God about whatever he spoke to your heart about. As we go through this amazing story of the early church, it's so inspiring to see that a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit and following God and laser focused on their purpose is going to make a difference in their community. I don't know about you, but I don't have any interest at all of being a church that just goes through the motions. I don't have any interest at all in just making it another week or another year. I want to be like this early church. I want to see people's lives change. I want to see those people without hope, those stuck in addiction, those people with marriages falling apart. I want to see people changed for Jesus. People finding hope where there was no hope. But that doesn't happen just by us being passionate or just us working. 
We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And take those directions from the Holy Spirit when he speaks in that still small voice in our hearts to reach out to somebody or to do something sacrificial, to serve somebody uh, without getting any recognition, any credit, or anything in return. <laughs> As the band plays, would you take a minute and ask God, what needs to change in your life? What's standing in the way of you being that early church type Christian? Maybe like Apollos, you just haven't been discipled all the way and you kind of learned some things a long time ago and you really haven't learned anything new, really haven't added to your faith, your faith hasn't deepened. You need to take that next step into getting into a life group, maybe joining the church, maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's committing to read God's Word. Maybe asking somebody to read it with you and go through a book of the Bible and talk about what you learned. Maybe you've just been too distracted by the things of this world, like Demetrius. Things and stuff and houses and cars and jobs. None of that stuff is going to last. You're investing in something that's temporary. It might give you a little jolt of pleasure for a moment, but it will not last for eternity. All it does is increase your ties to this world. The more you get, the more you worry about what you have. Maybe you're like those seven sons of Sceva, and really church for you has been the place where you've tried to feed your ego. You're constantly looking for recognition and for people to honor you use the name of Christ as a means to try and impress people. That's a dangerous game to play. Well, take the glory and honor that Jesus deserves and try and give it to yourself. Maybe you're like Eutychus where you've got good intentions but you fell asleep. God wants to breathe new life into you. We're not meant to walk through this life and apathy just coasting through his mercies are new every morning so as we continue in this attitude of prayer don't leave here not change maybe you're here though for the first time and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Maybe you've been around for a long time, but you can't remember a time and a place where you realized that you were a sinner and that you couldn't get to God on your own and you put all your faith and trust in Jesus as the only means of your salvation. You can call out to God right now. See, sin separates us from God. Sin is a barrier that's in the way. But Jesus paid that price. Jesus paid it all. 
put your faith in Jesus Christ today, what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. The Bible tells us, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Words aren't important. It's all about repentance. That's turning away from the direction that you're going, putting all your faith and trust in Him. It's not about your good works. It's not about membership or baptism or giving money in the offering, although all those things are good. It's all about Christ on the cross, Jesus in my place. Heavenly Father, God, whatever we're, we're here for today, God, I pray that we take it, we don't just leave it here in the pews, God, but we take it with us out the doors and into our community. However you wanted us to change. I pray we're not the same people that we were when we walked in this building.